This is Courage Cast. Faith, inspiration, and motivation for today. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of Courage Cast. It has been a while. It has been over a month since I released the last Courage Cast podcast. And I want to thank you for being so gracious to me and allowing me the time to get ready for this new season 2.0 of the Courage Cast podcast. We have a lot of great things to talk about today. And the first thing I want to share is that we have an amazing guest today, author, speaker, Rebecca Nichols Alonzo shares her story from the book and soon-to-be movie called The Devil in Pew Number 7. If that title alone doesn't shock you, it's I'm telling you, the story is powerful. And you're going to be amazed at what she experienced as a child, what her family experienced as a child in church, related to church. The the kind of experience she had is one that I don't know if I would be able to walk in forgiveness. I would never be the same. But yet, somehow, through some tremendous faith, she is now in a place where she has completely forgiven the men that haunted and taunted her family for so many years. And, she, and not even that, not just that, she is blessing them blessing them and living out the the scripture, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. And so stick around after the interview, I'm going to give my big takeaways and I'm also going to announce next week's special guests. We've got our lineup set for the next five weeks. And so I'm going to announce who our next week special guest is. It's going to be great. You're going to love this guest. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about a brand new giveaway that we are doing. I I worked on something during our time away, during our break, and one of the things I realized is that a lot of us deal with a lack of confidence. We lose our confidence at some point in our careers, you know, in our lives. I'm 46 years old, and I can tell you that there are a lot of people like me kind of in the age range between 35 and maybe 50 that feel like they may have lost their way, may be heading down a path that they don't really want to go down. And they may want to maybe they want to make changes in their lives. Or maybe you're just in a position, no matter what your age is, where you have just lost your confidence or you you're looking to get your confidence back. Well, I created a resource called five steps to get your confidence back and it's available on courageouscommunity.com. You just click on the image five steps to get your confidence back and you'll be, once you give your email and your name, we, I will send you, it'll automatically be sent to you a free video, about a 12 minute video that I recorded, and then a bonus worksheet, a, a worksheet that helps you kind of walk through these five steps that uh, have been so valuable to me in my life personally, uh, and have really helped me to get my confidence back after about two or three years 
of kind of being in a very insecure place with my career and in my personal life. It's been a very, very tough time. And it's the reason I created the Courage Cast. And I thought, you know what? I need to share what I've learned. So go and go to courageouscommunity.com and get that free resource, the video and the worksheet, five steps to getting your confidence back. I think you're going to love it. Now, something else that's new that I'm really, really excited about is our new Patreon page, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash CourageCast. A lot of you have been asking, hey, what can I do to support the CourageCast? Well, guess what? We put, we now have it and we put together a really nice Patreon page. There's a great resource. Patreon is a is a way to support creatives for fans to support creatives and get involved in the creation of podcasts and videos and music music uh, artists, etc. Anything that you might do, authors, anything creative that involves creativity, where maybe an artist or a, a creative person um, wants to gain support. Now, you've heard of Kickstarter, and those that's kind of a one-time kickstart, and Patreon is a way to, to get involved monthly. And so it's very simple. Go to patreon.com slash couragecast, or there's also a link at courageouscommunity.com for Patreon, and you'll get an opportunity to support me in the creation of the Courage Cast podcast, the Courageous Community, etc. You know, I spend hundreds of dollars each month and lots of my time to put this together. And I love it. And I've done it for a year and a half since April of 2016. We've put together 285 episodes. So it's been a labor of love, but it's time now to give you an opportunity to participate. And there are some great ways for you to participate. Uh, There's a $5 a month level. There's a $10 a month level. And then there's a $50 a month level. The five dollar is is pretty is pretty basic, uh, but it does give you exclusive content and information that you would get uh, if you're part of the uh, if you be, as you become a patron. Then the ten dollar gives you an opportunity to get some free content, uh, free bonus content that I put together with the podcast. I'm going to be putting together a monthly or I'm sorry, a weekly mastermind group that you can participate in that we can kind of dive deeper into the episode. Plus there's going to be just unscheduled times of prayer where I'm going to get on and we're going to just share our prayer requests and come together as a community. Um, And then at the $50 a month support level, I put together a courage box, a box of courage. It's going to be a book and we'll have a, a, a monthly book club uh, conversation and a call, an extended call to talk about the book and how it impacted us. We're going to have regular posts about the book that's going to be included in there. And then there'll be other special gifts and surprises. You'll get a Courageous Community shirt. Uh, and so there'll be all kinds of little bonuses as we grow the Courage Cast. So those are three ways to support. Become a patron uh, of our Patreon page and support what it is we're doing. I so much appreciate it already. Go check it out. Patreon.com slash CourageCast. I think you're going to love it. All right. We're almost to the point of getting the interview, but what what I want to share with you first is something that matters to me, and it's related to the episode. It's going to help set up our interview with Rebecca Nichols Alonzo, and I'm going to talk about the topic 
of forgiveness. And you're going to see that it actually goes much deeper than what you would think. It's not just about the obvious benefits for you. So let's dive into it. Forgiveness. It is one of the most important things that you can do in your Christian walk. It's one of the most important things you can receive in your Christian walk. How are you able to understand more fully the love of the Father if you can't forgive someone else or if you can't receive the forgiveness from Him? Because He has forgiven us, right? He has already forgiven us when he died on the cross and he took our sin on the cross, right? We identify with Christ as being forgiven, given a new life, a new opportunity, and we become new men, new women, right? In Christ. The word scripture says, Psalm 32 says, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. We are blessed. We are blessed. But you know, confession is an important part of it. It's important to receiving forgiveness. It's imperative. A lot of people are burdened with guilt because they're afraid to approach God with their sin. It's almost as if they are ashamed to admit to God what he already knows. God cannot be shocked. You have the freedom to be able to tell him anything that's going on in your life. You have that opportunity. It's not like human relationships. God already knows. So go ahead and confess. There's no shame in doing that. When we confess our sins, we are forgiven. That's what it says in 1 John 1, 9. But what about those individuals who have confessed and still feel troubled? A lot of times that person doesn't know the difference between guilt and sorrow. The Gospel of James says, Let there be tears for the wrong things you have done. Let there be sorrow and sincere grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. It's a tough word. And in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he wrote that godly sorrow works repentance unto salvation, 2 Corinthians 7.10. In other words, it is remorse for sin that makes a person change his or her mind about a specific thought or act. He or she then allows their mind to be transformed. It's these new thought patterns that bring deliverance the next time the temptation arrives. That's the whole point, right? is to experience sorrow and remorse so that when that temptation comes again and it will come again to sin, you can remember that. And so godly sorrow is required. When you, when you experience that, you're not going to be as eager to avoid the similar situation, right? So sorrow and forgiveness are separate issues. Forgiveness is complete upon confession. There's no condemnation now or in the future. 
says it all over scripture. In the eyes of God, the believer's sin is eradicated. It's not guilt in the way God works, but it is sorrow and grief in how God uses that. So sometimes we need to remember to confess our sin to God and don't avoid confessing because that's part of it as far as receiving and then understanding how remorseful we really, we really are. It's a repentance. It's a turning away. It's a, a feeling. It's not just a an act without an emotion. It's, it's sincere sorrow and seeing the grief that it causes. You may think you're just harming yourself, but it's, it's really harming your relationship with God. And it's an understanding that you don't want to do that anymore. That really, where it really dives deep. And now here's another side of forgiveness that's important to understand. As freeing it is, as it is to know that God holds no record of our confessed sin, the forgiven one, you and me, we're now faced with the command to forgive others. Ephesians 4.32, it says that. Jesus told a story in Matthew 18 about a servant who owed the king the equivalent of several million dollars. The king ordered that the man's wife and children and all that he had be sold to pay the debt. But when the man fell to his knees and pleaded for mercy, the king canceled the debt. But as soon as the man left the palace, he set upon a, a fellow servant who owed him a few, just a few dollars, right? And when the debtor pleaded for time to pay off the loan, the servant who had just been forgiven much, millions of dollars, had him thrown into prison. So it's, it's amazing, but, but the same thing happens to us when we do not forgive one offense, when we've been forgiven for a lifetime of sin, how are we different from the unforgiving servant? That's, that's us when we don't forgive, when we don't offer the same kind of rich, deep forgiveness to someone else that we've been given, right? So forgiving others, it's not an option. It's a command in scripture. Read Ephesians 4.32. When we forgive, we then are conformed to the image of Christ. And just, be, just as he forgave, we are to follow his example. And that's a, that's a pretty convicting thing, isn't it? doesn't matter what the sin is. We are conformed to the image of Christ in attitude and behavior. And it's, it's amazing what happens. I, I've just heard a, a message recently from another pastor who was talking about this topic and that it, it really is when it's, when you do it, whether, whether you feel like it or not, it doesn't matter. Your feelings don't play into the, into it at all. It is like physics. It is a law that when you forgive just as you've been forgiven and when you forgive just as you've been forgiven that is when the father is able to forgive you it says right after the lord's prayer if you forgive other people when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their sins your father will not forgive your sins it is a law it is a command so if you're holding yourself back keep that in mind it's a big deal. Now, another thing that I've learned that is very, very interesting is that there's a cost of forgiving and a cost of not forgiving. Forgiving isn't easy. Forgiving is hugely costly. 
to us. Forgiving cost God his only son, right? Forgiving cost Jesus Christ his life. And forgiving, just like it cost him his life, forgiving is going to cost you. There's a Nav Press article that I came across that depicts this very well. Uh, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it. My first husband, suffering from terminal cancer, was fired from his job because of a defamatory letter circulated to his superiors and peers. Life insurance and retirement benefits were all bound up with that job. Because he was fired, he lost both, and yet he was suffering from terminal cancer. How could they do that? When I learned about the letter and the consequences of being fired, I did not say, oh, praise the Lord anyhow. The truth is, I was furious. So overwhelming were my thoughts of hatred and vengeance, even murder, toward the one who had written the letter that the very thoughts terrified me. I went into my living room, closed the doors, got down on my knees, and prayed. I saw the sun come up the next morning before I finished dealing with all the hate in my heart. But I rose from my knees free because... With the help of God, I forgave. She says, forgiveness cost me emotionally. It broke my heart to see my husband devastated and to know that a man with terminal cancer had nowhere to turn for a job to support a wife and five children. Forgiveness cost me my will. I longed to justify my husband, to prove the author of the letter wrong. I longed to punish the person who wrote it. Those desires had to be sacrificed to obedience. That's again another law. Obedience in God's kingdom is success. It doesn't say it's going to be easy. Sacrificing to the point of forgiving the people who very obviously completely gave them no opportunity to financially recover from their hardship was a, was a huge huge task for this woman and we all go through it the cost is different for each of us the feelings are different but the important thing is to to wrestle with it and to come to grips with it like she did and get to the point as quickly as you can and as soon as you can and and whenever you're ready don't hold on to it for years and years if you need a few days a few weeks to process that's fine but get to the point of forgiveness for your own sake. I know it gonna, it's going to cost you to forgive. It's going to cost you. You have to sacrifice yourself on the cross in order to forgive that person. But it's worth it to experience his peace again so that you're not burdened by any of that. It's really important. And then lastly, there's a cost of not forgiving. Failure to forgive is even more costly than forgiving. You think it's hard. You think it's difficult to forgive. You think there's a cost to forgive. There's even a greater cost to not forgive. In the parable of the unforgiving servant, Jesus taught that the one who is forgiven and then refuses to forgive will be delivered to the torturers. He goes on to say in that verse in Matthew 18, how ironic that it's the unforgiving one who is tormented, not the offender. Isn't that interesting? That you will actually be released to the tormentors when you do not forgive. You know, there's a lot of Christians who are tormented because they refuse to forgive. 
there's insignificant issues of offense that we don't need to pick up, like, you know, people don't invite you to a party, people don't return your call, people remove you from Facebook or whatever it is, you know, small things. Then there are those bigger offenses, right? Those horrendous acts that have been committed that, you know, deep, deep wounds of abuse and injury and harm. And you truly are a victim. But the command to forgive is the same for any offense. It doesn't matter the size of the offense. It doesn't change. And just as the command to forgive hasn't changed, the consequence for failure to forgiving is the same. Torment. Who wants to be tormented? Refusal to release the guilty party has far more devastating effect on the unforgiving one than it does on the one who's been, who did the offending. And you're going to hear that in the Rebecca Nichols Alonzo story. It's powerful. So why do you hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness and anger? You know, people with a poor self-image are going to, uh, will use an act of committed sin against them to gain the attention that they long for. They're going to rehearse the story of being wronged, even to an audience of one. They're, they, they still are the center stage. They want the attention. For a brief moment, they feel important. Be careful. Be aware of if you are holding on to anger and bitterness so that you can feel important. If you forgave, you it would leave you without that incident to bring up again and without that story to tell that will bring you that sympathy and recognition that you crave. That's a big one, guys. Very convicting. Some people need to control others in order to feel significant. Maybe you're this type of person. These people use a wrong committed against them to manipulate the offender and anyone else who's going to go along. If they give up the right to hold on to the misconduct over the guilty person's head, in other words, manipulate the guilty person, they would lose control. And and with that, they're going to lose a sense of importance. If you're this type of person, again, forgive You know, it could be something that happened 20 years ago, but the person is still reminding you of your mistake every time they want their way to manipulate you or you're using it to manipulate your own way. How horrible is that? How horrible is that? So there are also people who think that some offenses are just too great to warrant forgiveness. Little things can happen, but this... This is the big one, right? This is the big one. And we can we can use Joseph as an example. Joseph was a man who was wronged. A biblical character in Genesis was wronged so horribly. He was he was put to death by his brothers or left for dead by his brothers, sold into slavery. He was uh, encouraged to, to do all kinds of things and he and he never never forgot and he forget forgave in the end and it's a powerful story he was able to forgive his brothers never in the word of god will you find that crime that any crime is too great to forgive jesus died to forgive all sin period how can we as followers of christ have the audacity not to forgive one for whom christ died he forgave everyone 
every sin. And then there's the people who say, I forgive, but I can't forget. Well, praise God. This is a good one. Of course you can't forget. God created man with with amazing memory, right? So without these memory banks, the mental pictures of brilliant leaves and beautiful views and and vistas and things that we've experienced that we don't want to forget would only last for a season. So life's joys as well as sorrows are going to fade and all kinds of things would, would not be possible. Any experiences and education, everything we've been created with a memory, right? So there's a purpose for it. Remembering past offenses is really, really important so that you never commit the same acts. Remembering past offenses so that you can marvel and wonder at the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Only God can forget sin. He has not given us that ability. However, memory does not have to bring pain. Christ heals the injuries of the past too. In the prophecy concerning the Messiah in Isaiah 61, verse 1 through 3, Isaiah writes this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. The good news is that Jesus heals the brokenhearted. He releases prisoners from the tormentors. He comforts those who mourn over offenses against them and over those who they have committed. He promises a crown of beauty instead of ashes, gladness instead of mourning, and praise instead of despair. And guess what? The choice is ours, whether we choose to forgive or not. That is amazing. Now on to my interview with Rebecca Nichols Alonzo. Well, I have Rebecca... Nichols Alonzo here in the studio with me. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we are um, talking about something that you've lived with really for a long, long time. And uh, it's your story, uh, which has become a a book, a New York Times bestselling book called The Devil in Pew Number 7. I've known about your story and I've purposefully... It sounds scary to me, so I'm kind of scared of the book. <laughs> because, but I'm, I'm, I think there's incredible message to be told in this book, and I know, and I've, and I'm glad I don't know the details of it because I want to know now. Now I get to finally sit down. We've all, we've seen each other in football games. We know each other from outside of you know this arena so we're we're friends um and our sons play football on the same team together and uh, all of that good stuff so um rebecca why don't we start with uh the beginning let's get let's go to kind of your growing up years 
and how your story sort of starts in the book. Okay. Well, my mom and dad uh, were evangelists for years, and then they came to a little town in Whiteville, North Carolina. Not a lot of people know where that's located, mm-hmm. but they uh, arrived where is in this that located? little town. <laughs> the best way to describe it is about two and a half hours southeast of Raleigh. Okay. Or if you know where Wilmington, North Carolina is, yes. it's about 45 minutes west of Wilmington. Okay. So they came to this little town and uh, as evangelists, and the church had about a dozen people in it, small little country church out in the middle of cornfields and tobacco fields. And um, my mom and dad did a, a several weeks of meetings there, and the people that invited them were, re- they were the retired pastors and said, would you consider coming on as the senior pastors of the church? And my mother, who had been traveling with my dad with uh, fishing rods and frying pans and coffee pots in the trunk, you know, as evangelists, just pioneers for the gospel, um, was kind of tired of that, that, you know, hustle and bustle and looked at the parsonage that was being built next to the church and said, we'll take it. So they were real excited about having a place to settle, having a place to settle. And they moved in November of 1969. Okay. And uh, the following April, I was born. Okay. So new church, new mm-hmm. community, new baby, mm-hmm. just everything was wonderful and great. And the community just welcomed my family in. And my dad knocked on doors every week, inviting people to church. And if they didn't come to church on Sunday morning, he was knocking on Monday morning saying, mm. um, we missed you at church yesterday. <laughs> so the church grew from around a dozen to over a hundred. Mm. Within a year, wow! Which is huge for a rural church. No kidding. Um, the little town that we lived in was called Sellers Town Community because most of the people's last name was Sellers. Ah, <laughs> so all related, family related mm-hmm. um, by marriage, by blood, and my mom and dad were welcomed into that, which was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, about a year and a half after establishing, you know, our uh, relationship and friendship. Um, one of the men that came to the church, Mr. Watts, who sat in pew number seven mm-hmm. every Sunday, uh, kind of voiced his dislike of the way my dad was running things. Mm. And what he was referring to was my dad removing his self-appointed position of power. Mm. Mr. Watts was in his 60s. Okay. My dad was in his 30s. Right. Mr. Watts was a county commissioner, millionaire, loaned money to the farmers, um, had all this influence Mm -hmm. over the people of the community, kind of like a godfather situation. Yeah. You know, so he would loan money, and then if they couldn't pay him back with this exorbitant interest, he would take their land. Okay, so he had a lot of power. Lots of power. In this seller's town. Yes. But he wasn't a seller's, he was a Watts. He was he was related to the sellers through marriage. Okay, got it. Um, because he married one of the sellers' sisters. Mm-hmm. So um, he had you know set up his place of control, and my dad came in and said, first of all, if you're going to vote on church business, which Mr. Watts did all the time, mm-hmm. you have to be a member. And okay. Mr. Watts was not a member of the church, but he attended faithfully every Sunday and sat in pew number seven. Uh-huh. So then his wife was um, taking care of the money in the church. Okay. And he would write a check for the cash and get the tax deduction and take the cash. 
So you my, found all this out later? Well, my dad found that out then because okay. he removed his wife as the church secretary, okay. which made Mr. Watts mad. Mm-hmm. So he just slowly started removing them from their positions and putting in people that he could trust and that loved God and wanted to do the right thing. And this enraged Mr. Watts. So a war began between my dad and Mr. Watts. Now, my dad was an ex-Navy guy, mm-hmm. almost 6'4". Yeah. Big guy. Big dude. Could have handled Mr. Watts in a little private conversation on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Watts was also a pretty good-sized man and was not intimidated by anyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, he had a little talk with my dad, Mr. Watts did, and said, I think you need to go on back to Alabama where you came from. Mm. And my dad said, when the the Lord gets ready for me to leave this church, he'll he'll let me know. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to take instruction from a man mm-hmm. about this situation. So Mr. Watts started getting some um, some guys that had gotten out of prison, ex-cons that needed jobs and couldn't get them. He would just pay them to call our house 30 to 60 times a day, mainly at night, what? and hang up. Just call? Just call hang and up. hang up. Hmm. Before caller ID. Yeah. Before, you know, you could really find out who, you know. Now, this is me, in the 70s. The 70s. So how old were you roughly at this time when this well, started? About one and a half. Whenever he finally, when he finally um, voiced his, you know, mm-hmm. his um, disdain for my dad, I guess, or mm-hmm. his disagreement with my dad. But over a period of five years, it went from harassing phone calls, threatening letters in the mail. Um, one of them said, "You will leave Sellerstown, walking, crawling, dead or alive." Wow. So then, you know, he upped the ante to drive-by shooting. So by this time, I'm four years old, Uh and I have bullets flying past my head. And I was taught as a little girl, if you hear tires squeal, get down. Because these men were sneaking into the cornfields behind our house. Yeah, They would take sticks of dynamite, tie them to a corn stalk, run a long fuse out as long as they could, light it, jump in the car on the side street, and take off. So if you heard tires squeal, you knew, get down. Get down. It's coming. Because these explosions started going off around our home and our church. Wow. So that's when the FBI were called in. Mm-hmm. So the local police had been called in on the harassing calls, the threatening letters. Um, but when the explosions started happening, the ATF um, teams were called in, FBI, and had mobile units in our yard. And so at night, as a little girl, I was very scared, like mm. to just even close my eyes. I, I slept with my uh, closet light on. Mm-hmm. And my mom taught me how to pray because yeah. I did not want to go to sleep. I didn't want to go to bed. Um, I started kindergarten and I was exhausted. And she taught me that little children's prayer. Now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Mm. So as a little girl, I didn't know if I was going to wake up in my bed the next morning or in heaven. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was. And it it was real for you. It it was was scary real. It was scary real because people were always in our yard at night running around. They would slash our tires. They would shoot out the vapor light first. Mm -hmm. So you couldn't see what they were doing. Then they would slash the tires. Then they would cut the phone lines. So you're held hostage in your own home. You Mm -hmm. can't leave. You can't call for help. You don't know who's in the yard. You know they have guns. Mm. Um, So this went on for about five years, and we didn't have just one or two explosions. We had 10 dynamite explosions go off um, within two and a half years. Mm -hmm. So Why? 
okay, I'm putting myself in this. Right. And I'm saying, I'm out of here. Right. I'm not putting up right. with this drama. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, this is not, this is not worth it. Right. In, in my flesh, that's what I want to do. I want to leave. Right. You're right. I, I'm out of here. This isn't, so why didn't you guys leave? Well, my mom and dad uh, talked about that, mm-hmm. of course. And at first, my dad was like, God has called us here. and We're not going to leave. And my mom was scared because mm-hmm. um, by this time, she had had my brother Daniel. So they had two children in a home that was under constant war mm-hmm. and attack. And but, but in between all of that, let me just pause the all the horror part of it. The church continued to grow. Mm-hmm. And these people became like family instead of just church members. And so my mom and dad felt like God had called them there in a way to protect and grow that community. And my mother said, if we leave, it'll be like leaving the lambs to slaughter. Yeah. Um, and because then, he's still taking control of the church at this the, point. Well, he was trying. He, my was dad, he still coming to church? He was still coming to church, but my dad had removed him from all power. So he knew he knew that he was behind it. Oh, everybody knew. Everybody knew everybody he was behind knew. it. Couldn't and he would it. still show up in mm-hmm. pew number seven with oh, his right. wife. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. The nerve. The nerve. And and be- see, he had to keep showing up because mm-hmm. then he would look guilty if he didn't. Right. Because see, they would go and interview him. I didn't have anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. And he didn't because he hired people to do it. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Yeah. So he didn't have anything to do with it, but he did. Quote, he was unquote. totally behind Mm-hmm. The whole thing. And my mom said, you know, I really believe that if we left, like everyone, you know, is asking, why didn't you leave? That he had so much money and influenced, he would have sent people after us. Mm. So it wasn't a, a, a um, the point of if we leave, will we be safe? Mm-hmm. It was it was stay and fight or die. So at this point, yeah, I mean, maybe in the very beginning, if he had Mm -hmm. capitulated, your father had capitulated and said, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm out of here. I'm Mm -hmm. not putting up with it. It wouldn't have been a big deal. They wouldn't have followed him. But at this point, after five years, or probably in the midst of two years or whatever, he knew it was do or die, stay or or die. Right. Trying, right? right. Oh, wow. And my mom, people would ask my mom, you know, why are you staying, Ramona? Robert and Ramona were my parents' names. And um, my mother said, Christ gave his life for me, and I'm willing to do the same. <sighs> so a lot of people don't live their life with that kind of devotion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they're they so happy that they have Jesus and that, you know, if they ask him into their heart, then, the, you know, they're saved and they're going to get to spend eternity with him. But the cost between between that prayer of salvation and when you step through the gates of heaven, mm-hmm. there there is a there is a call for sacrifice. And mm-hmm. my mom was willing to do it and my dad was willing to do it. And they loved the people. And, and what was really sweet was that the men in our church that had families of their own, that were farmers that got up before the sun and worked till the sun went down, they they would volunteer to stand around our house at night with guns mm. so we could get a good night's sleep. Wow. We even left at one point and moved to a farm close by at night. So we would stay at our house during the day. Uh-huh. And when the sun would start to go down, we would pack up our stuff and drive down to the farm. The whole family. The whole family. Mm-hmm. Because that friend had guard dogs. Uh-huh. And they had a place that we could stay. And uh, Mr. Watts would drive by that farm just to let us know, I know where you are. You're uh-huh. not getting away from me. Wow. So um, after five years of this uh, terrorism at the hands of a man who attended our church every week, 
um, he found out about the perfect situation for him to get a human weapon inside of our home. Hmm. My mom's best friend, Sue, uh, was married to an abusive alcoholic, mm-hmm. and he had tied her up and beat her badly. So mm-hmm. she called my mom and said, Ramona, I'm scared he's, he's threatened to kill me and my baby. She had a two-year-old. And my mom said, well, come stay with us, mm-hmm. which, I mean, <laughs> we weren't the safest place in town, right? Right, right. So I uh, don't know. But my mom just felt like, you know, she could keep an eye on her. She didn't feel like this man would come in our house right. after her. She could help with the baby. She, it was Easter weekend, mm-hmm. you know, and we were all getting ready for that. My dad was preparing his Easter notes. My mom was the worship leader and, and um, you know, took care of the music for the church. So we were just getting ready for Easter. And Mr. Watts sent some of his guys over to talk to this husband, who was already on alcohol, had been in a knife fight, and was Mm -hmm. on drugs, Mm. prescription drugs, and fed him full of a lot of lies, which provoked him to come into our house, barge into our house. Drunk and all of that. On Easter weekend with three guns. Before before church? This was on Thursday. This was the weekend before. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. So he he barges into our house with three guns, and um, my brother is three, had just turned three years old. I'm seven, and we watch as this man guns down both of our parents, you know, right in front of us. And it just, chaos ensues, everyone's screaming, running around. Um, So you... See this man mm-hmm. kill your parents. Right. Well, he, my mother, my mother went to heaven that day. Um, my dad was shot twice, once in the right shoulder and once in the left hip. The, the, le- the bullet that went in his left hip knocked him to the ground. So my big, almost 6'4", Navy vet, yeah. strong hunter, outdoorsman, um, strong hero daddy was knocked to the floor. We mm-hmm. had guns hanging on the walls behind this shooter, he couldn't even get to him. Right, right. So I talk about the shooting and and uh, what happened that day more in the book. Um, I go into the details. We were yeah. held hostage for three hours in the house. Oh gosh. I was sent for help. The first chapter oh of the gosh. book says I ran, and that's me, seven years old, running for my life. Mm. I was the lifeline to sneak out of the house and run next door um, to get help. And next door was down the road because yeah. we were out in the country. You were in the barn, the farmhouse. The, we were in the, we were in our parsonage. Yeah. We oh, were you at, were in the we parsonage. We were in the parsonage next mm-hmm. to the church. Okay. Yeah. Because we stayed at the farm some, but then we ended up just moving back to our yeah. house. It was too much craziness going on yeah. in between the craziness mm-hmm. of having to leave our own home every day. So we were in, back in the parsonage and, um, my mother gave her life for her friend. It says, no greater love has one to, than to lay down your life for your friend. Yeah. You know, and we think about Jesus laying his life down for us, but we're called to do the same. And she did. She mm-hmm. laid her life down for her friend. And so her friend with the baby was mm-hmm. there. Yes. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. And he held them hostage for three hours okay. in the house. And so um, I, I ran for help. And they finally got my dad out of the house, thank God, or he would have bled to death. Mm. Um, my brother. So he left then? Did he leave? Uh, the police all, you know, it was. Police came it in. Was a, he was yeah. arrested? Or? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And so my dad had to spend three weeks in the hospital before we could leave Sellerstown, leave our home, leave our church, leave my school, leave my friends, and move to Mobile, Alabama. Yeah. Because my dad's parents and his family lived in Mobile. 
So we we left everything. We had to start over without our mom, you know, trying to figure out how do we do this without her. So I'm still stuck on the trauma. Yeah. That seeing you you saw him Mm -hmm. shoot your mother. Right. Right. And your father. Yes. Uh, I, I just can't even imagine. Were you able to or were you just stone cold? Uh, emotionally from it and shocked uh, well, initially. You you do. You go through all those stages. I remember the night of the shooting, oh my gosh. Um, trying to go to sleep that night. And your 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 system, you're like your nervous system, has, is so traumatized that you just can't settle down. It's like this mm-hmm. engine that won't turn off. And I remember thinking, when I wake up in the morning, this is just going to have been a bad dream. I was seven, you know. My brother was three, and he was a mama's boy, mm-hmm. and he would call for mom, mommy, mm-hmm. walking around the house looking for her. That was awful. That 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 <sighs> was that was so hard for me, you know, just watching him look for our mom, and then my. My dad had had several nervous breakdowns before the shooting because he became paranoid from people sneaking in our yard and trying to protect our family and the police and the FBI not being able to bring this guy to justice that um, he would sleep in a chair with a gun many, many nights and it just wore him down. Mm -hmm. So when he lost my mom, Mm -hmm. his best friend, Mm -hmm. the mother of his children, his partner in ministry, um, he was broken I in so many places mm-hmm. that um, he was on heavy tranquilizers. Yeah. So we moved in with my grandparents and my aunt Dot, one of his sisters who was single, and they took us in and mm-hmm. loved on us through that trauma, through that shock, through that missing and that crying and that. My aunt Dot said it's like someone just took a heavy blanket and put it over our family mm-hmm. during that time. We just, we just, it was like. Uh, it was so hard every day just to get up and get dressed and eat and just you, you were just trying to find a, a, a place to put your foot you know like mm-hmm. a next step just take the next step and mm-hmm. um kids are resilient but still we were broken we were shattered pretty badly and then my dad so it was like losing two parents mom moved to heaven mm-hmm. <laughs> And dad was here, but still in his own battle. And I believe the reason why he would would get better and then have another breakdown was because guilt. Guilt, you'd lived. Kept the door open for the enemy mm-hmm. to come in and out of his, his heart. Yeah. So he forgave Mr. Watts. He did. For everything that Mr. Watts put us through. He chose to forgive. He chose to forgive. It's That's what I tell people all the time. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice. He forgave Harris Williams, the shooter. Uh-huh. He taught forgiveness. He lived forgiveness. I saw it at home. I saw it at church. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't like I'm going to preach about it at church and live a different way at home. Right. He was the same in both places. Mm-hmm. So that was my example as a child. So he kept preaching? When he would get better, mm-hmm. he would go out and, and preach in, in different, different churches. Different, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell his story. Tell the tell story. Tell the story or preach on something else if he wanted to. You know, uh-huh. I, I, for the first year after my mom went to heaven, he could not say her name. Sure. He couldn't even say Ramona. Yeah. He couldn't even say it. He mm-hmm. was just so, and I think he, he was just in shock over losing the love of his life like that. So, um, you know, the things that my mom and dad had taught me as a little girl about loving people, loving God, forgiving people, 
being excited about heaven. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, we <laughs> sang about heaven, and then I was like, well, I've got a little understanding of what is going on with my mom. She's yeah. in heaven. She's happy. She's not being terrorized any longer, you yeah. know. But that community was never the same. When yeah. they lost my mom and dad, it rocked them to the bottom. So they um, had a, a hard time. But th- um, let me go back to right after the shooting, after we moved to Mobile, my dad and I had to fly back three months later to testify at the murder trial. Okay. So that was part of my coping also was having to go back to that town where everything happened and testify as an eight-year-old yeah. at the murder trial. My goodness, I can't I imagine. I am sitting on the my witness daughter's stand. daughter's age, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting on the witness stand wow. with my little knees knocking, pointing at the shooter. So even though it was horrible and it was awful and he was a friend of our family that my parents had tried to help Mm -hmm. with alcoholism, um, it was just devastating. I mean, my mom's mother said in a in an interview, he she said, "I can't believe his finger was on the trigger." Mm -hmm. Like we knew Mr. Watts hated my parents, but who would have ever thought a friend of the family? would have um, come in and shot them like that. It, it was just a, it was a betrayal on, on a deep level. So we're in Mobile. Um, my dad is in and out of the hospitals. He preaches when he can. Uh, we're trying to heal. The war is still kind of, they didn't really diagnose people as much back then, but post-traumatic stress disorder is yeah. what he was suffering through. And I had been taught by my dad, who was a big faith preacher, you know, you have faith and you believe and God is going to answer. Mm-hmm. So I would make posters and put them around the house that said, dear Jesus, please heal my daddy. Mm-hmm. So I was this little girl. I'd ride my bike, you know, dear mm-hmm. Jesus, please heal my daddy. Just pray and pray and pray. So about seven years after my um, my mom went to heaven, we came home from school one day. I was 14. My brother was nine. And we were told that our father, who was away in a hospital being treated for his nerves, mm-hmm. um, it was actually at Oral Roberts University. You mean his post-traumatic stress? Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts University at mm-hmm. the City of Faith when they used to have the hospitals. Yeah. So he had a private room. They called him Reverend Nichols. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like a beautiful, godly place. And we thought, he's going to come back. Mm-hmm. You know, he always comes back. And we were told... That day after school, your dad has passed away Hmm. at 46 years old. Okay. Yeah. And so we're like, okay, that doesn't make any sense. I went into total freak out at this Mm -hmm. point because we had gone through terrorism. I had lost my mother. We had moved and started over. And I thought, I don't care if my dad is broken. As long as I have him, I'm okay. Yeah. He was their rock. He was the rock. He was the, he, I was a daddy's girl for one yeah. thing. So, you know, he couldn't do anything wrong in my mm-hmm. eyes, mm-hmm. you know? And so when he went to heaven, I got really mad at God. Mm-hmm. And I've asked people, you know, when I share my story, I'm like, does anybody here know what I'm talking about? And hands always go up because mm-hmm. when you say God is in control, you're saying, well, what happens whenever things happen that he could have been in control of and he chose not to? Are you still going to trust him? Are you still going to obey him? Are you still going to live for him? Mm-hmm. So um, when my dad went to heaven, I got really mad at God. And I said, you know, a man took mother's life, but God, you took my dad. Yeah. And for two years, 
I call them the hell years. You would think nothing could have gotten worse than what we went through as a child. Mm. But those two years after my dad went to heaven, um, I just, I was lost. I struggled so badly. I got to a point where I wanted to die. Mm -hmm. And we moved in with, um, we moved, um, we were living with my aunt Dot and my grandparents. And I, I, I felt like I was done. Yeah. I said, I'm, I can't. The grief was so heavy on me, I felt like I couldn't even breathe. And one night, I cried myself to sleep. Mm -hmm. And I said, God, I'm done. I just don't even want to be here anymore. And that night, I had a dream Mm -hmm. that changed my life. Okay. I, 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 I finally fell asleep. My pillow was wet with tears. And all of a sudden, in my dream, I'm standing in this golden meadow. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, this is beautiful. This is so beautiful. And you know, here we breathe in, we breathe out. There was no effort to breathe there. Mm-hmm. It was just peaceful and beautiful. And I looked to my left and my mother was standing there. Mm. And she looked like she did when she was in her 20s. Yeah. Young. She had a big smile on her face. And she looked at me and smiled at me. And the last time I saw my mother, she was shot. Yeah. You know, and I go into detail about that because I saw her after she got shot. Uh-huh. So it was, there's, so much compounded trauma um, mm-hmm. that I'm not even talking about today. But um, anyway, I see her and she's she's young and she's happy and there's there's no bullet in her chest and there's you know mm-hmm. there's there's just she's joyful and she grabs my hand and points down the meadow at the base of the meadow. There's this huge tree mm-hmm. and a river running next to it, mm-hmm. and I see someone standing under that tree. And when he put his hand up and rocked his hand back and forth, I knew it was my dad. Mm-hmm. And my mom grabbed my hand, and we ran down this meadow, and the three of us came together and hugged. And it was it's, – it's hard to describe because it was the most beautiful, most absorbing joy, love, peace, goodness, kindness, just all these amazing – you know, feelings that you feel towards God. I got to feel that with my parents, Mm -hmm. that safety, that place of safety Mm -hmm. that we didn't have. And I woke up Mm. and I was like, no, go back to sleep. I've got to get back there. And I could not get back there, but Mm. all of the depression was gone. Really? There was no therapist on the face of the earth that could have done in one day what that dream did for me. That Mm -hmm. was a God dream. I didn't see streets of gold. I didn't see the throne of God. I didn't see angels. I didn't see a lot of things that other people that have ex- had heaven experiences saw. I just needed to see my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so um, a, a healing began to take place in my heart, and I started letting go of all that anger that I had towards God. Mm-hmm. And when I opened up and released that anger, that's when all this peace started coming in. Mm. And that was peace I needed. And I realized, wow, I need God more than I need to be mad at him. Mm. I need his peace. I need his comfort. I need a daddy. I'm a 16-year-old emotional <laughs> teenage girl. I need I need him. And so he came in and just started working in my heart and setting me free from a lot of um, anger and not understanding why. I, I'm telling you, th- that one word can drive you nuts. Why? Why? Why, God, did you allow this to happen? 
But Romans 8.28 says that he can use everything that the enemy meant for evil for good. Yeah. And I just dove into the Bible. I just, every day I was journaling, which was a big part of my healing. Yeah. I was journaling. I was I was reading my word. I was in church three times a week. I, I needed so much of God to recover to heal and then to grow in him. Yeah. I couldn't grow until I got all the junk, the weeds out of my heart, you know? Yeah. And then you can put those good seeds in there and water them and, you know, pull out all the, the junk, all the, the yeah. bad seed and, and everything and just totally re redo the whole garden. That's right. Of your heart. And, and, your it, and it's, and the word says when we, when Jesus comes into our life, he makes us a new creation. Yeah. We're a new creature. We're a new creation. We're not like we were before. So about a year later, the phone rings one day, and my aunt answers the phone, and she said, it's Mr. Watts on the phone. And I said, okay. So what what I didn't tell before was that we ended up, my dad ended up going back two years after the murder trial and, and testifying at the bombing trial. So we had an FBI agent. There's a bombing trial. There was a bombing trial for Mr. Watts, the man that was behind the mastermind behind everything. Mm -hmm. So we had an FBI agent that got emotionally involved with our case, would not let go, hung in there. Even after we moved to Alabama, he was still gathering evidence against Mr. Watts. Yeah. Got it um, before a federal grand jury. And Mr. Watts was convicted and sentenced to 15 years in prison. Okay. Now, the shooter had been sentenced to life in prison. Mm-hmm. And now I was going to ask. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Life in prison plus 15 for assault with a deadly weapon. So now Mr. Watts, who had, you know, uh, senators for, I mean, just, you know, state reps for attorneys, just best that money could buy, um, was convicted and sentenced to prison 15 years. So I'm getting this phone call, and I'm thinking, okay, he's been in prison for about five years. Right. I'm getting, you know, he must get a phone call each day, and I'm his phone call today. So I get on the phone. Did you have any anxiety, or was your breath taken away? It was a little bit away? shocking. It yeah. was a little bit shocking to hear he was on the phone. Yeah. Um, we had forgiven him already, though. So when I you didn't, say we, my brother and I, my family, it affected both sides of my family. They knew everyone, you know, knew who was behind all of it. So Mr. Watts calls. I get on the phone and I said, hello. And he goes, hello, Becky. This is Mr. Watts. Like this gruff voice that I remembered as a little girl that mm-hmm. just kind of shook me to my toes. And I said, hi, how are you? And he said, fine. He said, I have a question to ask you. He said, I can't live the rest of my life without knowing. And I said, okay. He said, I want to know if you'll forgive me for what I did to your family. And I said, Mr. Watts, we forgave you a long time ago. Mm. And he started to weep on the phone. Now, this was a man that never cried and was hateful and just responsible for a lot of hurt in that community. Other murders that he was never convicted for Jeez. that I found out about later. This is a story that keeps unfolding throughout my whole life. I st- I'm still finding out things. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said, your dad was a good man and didn't deserve what I put him through. Now, you know, something had to have happened to him to make him say that because right. he hated my dad. Mm-hmm. He said, I want you to know that I'm not in prison anymore. I only served one year. What? And I said... <laughs> Oh, Lord, I'm going to have to forgive this man again. I said, um, what do you mean you only served one year? He said, well, he had some health issues. 
So they released him on good behavior. And, you know, 15 years was not long enough. Mm -hmm. So the justice system failed my family, you know, on several levels. And that's where you have to just say God is the God of justice, and you have to release it to him to handle. So he is is telling me this, that he's only, he only served one year. And he said, but during that one year, I found a relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, that was my parents' prayer. Mm-hmm. That's what they had taught me to pray as a little girl is, Lord, please save Mr. Watts. Yeah. Please melt the bitterness in his heart. Please draw him to you. He sat in church every Sunday and heard my dad, who was a fantastic teacher of the word and preacher of the word. And you know someone has to be hard-hearted yeah. to have that truth coming at you mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. and not receive it. Yeah, He chose not to receive it then, but thank God he received it. But it took him being put in prison <sighs> where his money and his power couldn't help him for that year. Yeah, So um, that was a big, big, big you know, answer chapter, to answer mm. to prayer and chapter in our life. So, if, you know, I go away to college. I meet my husband, Kenny. We um, moved to, we, we actually lived in New Orleans where he's from, moved to North Carolina to help plant a church. How does that okay. sound familiar? <laughs> yes. North Carolina to plant North a Carolina. church in a small town. In a small town. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are, you know, um, and we were there for a while. We were youth pastors. We were set up chairs, pastors, you know, you do whatever you got to <laughs> yeah. do, you know, when you're planting a church. Garbage yes. throwing out Yes, clean pastors. up pastors. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then we ended up moving here to Nashville a few years later to help with the youth ministry here in Nashville. And so when we moved here, my husband just got this idea one day, I'm going to look up Harris Williams, the shooter, and see what prison he's in. Mm -hmm. So Kenny gets online, and he's looking, and he finds out that Harris Williams is no longer in prison. He served 21 years, and he was released on parole. We were never called and notified uh, Harris Williams is up for parole. Would you like to contest? Harris Williams is out on parole. Harris Williams is free and living two hours from you when you were living in North Carolina. Wow. Again, failure of, of justice through man's eyes. Mm-hmm. But like I said, we had to keep giving that to God. So um, what, since we've been in Nashville, um, I've got to meet a lot of amazing people and publishing people and music people. And a friend of mine heard my testimony one night at Bible study, mm-hmm. sent it to a friend of hers who sent it to 10 publishing houses. And they said, we want a proposal for you to write your story. Mm. Now, um, that wasn't on my list of things to do. <laughs> right, right. To revisit, mm-hmm. you know, things that had happened 30 years ago. Um, but when I got back, so much interest because it's such a powerful story of forgiveness yeah. that I said, okay, God, if you want me to do this, you know, I, I surrender and I wave the white flag. And so I, I wrote two years by myself and then I met my co writer because I was getting ready to give up and God knew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he needed to send me some help. Mm-hmm. So I met Bob DeMoss and he helped me. And um, anyway, the book came out 
And CNN, uh, a guy from CNN, a producer from CNN, read the book and wanted to do a story on it. Mm-hmm. So he he comes to Nashville. We do all this research. He goes back to Sellerstown. He meets the people there. Wow, that he really I had, did an in-depth story. He went to Mobile and met mm-hmm. Aunt Dot, my, 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 wow. my dad's family. I mean, he went all over for this story. And so he... Um, he, you know, did a four-day story. So part one, part two, part three, part four, which infuriated readers on CNN.com. They wanted to just be able the to whole sit thing. down, whole yeah. thing. What are you kidding? You're going to make me wait, you know? <laughs> it's like a mini series. It was. Mm-hmm. Well, on the fourth day, this story got in front of an assistant to a Dr. Phil producer. Mm-hmm. And so the assistant, who happened to be a Christian, mm-hmm. love that. Yep. Handed it to the producer at Dr. Phil and said, you've got to read the story. Mm-hmm. That was on a, um, on, a thir- on a Thursday. So I get a phone call. Hi, this is Julie Ross from the Dr. Phil Show, and we would like you to fly out to L.A. and have a reunion show with the shooter. Nah, reunion show with the shooter. Oh, my goodness. So, what, you know, how, how what do, do you, you do even, with that? Yeah. So, so then, you know, he's never been on a plane before. Harris Williams, the shooter, has never been on a plane. Moved back to the same town where everyone knew him, knew Mr. what Watts he had, had done. Mr. Watts had passed away a few years earlier from uh, cancer, a battle with cancer. And so Harris is like, I'm not going to L.A. Mm-hmm. This producer guilted him into getting on a plane and yeah. flying out to L.A., so for the first time since I testified against him as an eight-year-old little girl in a courtroom, I'm sitting across from him on the Dr. Phil show Wow! with my brother Daniel sitting next to me. Gosh. And it, it was a surreal moment. Mm-hmm. It was just unbelievable. Dr. Phil almost didn't know what to do with my brother and I. Yeah. Because of the grace of God, because of the goodness of God, we, we, we are speaking from a place of victory now. Mm-hmm. And so he was looking at us, trying to assess us. That's what he does. Yeah, sure. And he's like, wow, you guys have really come a long way. And, um, you know, he looked at Harris. He's like, this man, I I can't really get a read on him. He didn't sleep for four days before he got there. He was groggy. He, you know, he barely got through the interview. It was traumatic for everybody to revisit all of this. But... I had so many people praying for my brother and I that we just felt this covering mm-hmm. over us the whole time mm-hmm. that we're sitting across from the killer of our mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And after it was over, I asked my brother, I said, Daniel, what did you feel when you looked at Harris? Mm-hmm. Now, what would the average person feel looking at a person that killed their parent? Well, hate right. and sickness and disgust. Yeah. Um, yeah, all of that. Yeah. Resentment, yes, bitterness, and 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 like something had been stolen from yeah. you that you can never get back, right? And my brother said compassion, mm. and I said I felt the same. Mm. So that was another layer of healing. You know, we could have let the enemy rob us of the joy that we had been walking in, the freedom that we had been walking in by seeing Harris and just remembering all that stuff. But God just covered us yeah. with his love. And <laughs> and it was like God was pouring heaven down on us, love from heaven down on us to extend to Harris. Yeah. So after that interview with Dr. Phil, we're you know trying to get pictures with Dr. Phil and run around everything. We're, we're coming close on trying to get to our flight. And I said, where is the Bible? Where is the Bible? So we had a Bible, a beautiful leather study Bible, 
and and had Harris's name um, engraved on it. Ran down to his green room, knocked mm-hmm. on his door. He's standing there with his son crying. Mm-hmm. And we said, Harris, we have something for you. Mm-hmm. And he was just so broken. Mm-hmm. And so just, it, it's just so hard when someone does something so terrible that they can never take it back. All they can say is, I'm sorry. Yeah. And we knew that. And so we said, we have a Bible for you. And we want you to know every time you read this Bible that God loves you, he forgives you, and we forgive you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it was, it was just such a beautiful, emotional moment. How do you hug someone that killed your mother? I mean, mm-hmm. only God can do that. Mm-hmm. Only the grace and beauty and love and strength of God can give you that ability to love the unlovable, to love the, someone that, you know, it changed the course of our life. Mm-hmm. His bad decision changed his family's life, our family's life. But God has used it for good, and he's used the book for good. He's used um, interviews and the um, – you, you get letters every, and stories. Oh, oh. letters. Oh, my so goodness. I, I, I yeah. got I to ask you just about the forgiveness part because mm-hmm. I think that's the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. For people, yeah, yeah. to grasp is yeah. how did you forgive him? Yeah, what was that? Tell me, like, tell me what what was it after you saw, you had that dream from God that you could really fully forgive both these men, or when? Like, how did you choose? Yeah. and how did you live that out? Yeah. Was it process? Yes. Or, Okay, yes, tell yes. me about I, that. I, I try to explain the best way I can to people that forgiveness is a choice and it's a process. And, and why should we forgive? Right, right. You know? Because we have a right not to. Yeah. And, and God gives us free will and he lets us choose not to forgive if we don't want to. Yeah. But my Aunt Dot taught us the word alongside, you know, what my parents had taught us. And in, in Matthew 6, I believe it's 13, says... Um, that if you want forgiveness, you have to forgive because if you don't, God will not forgive you of your sins. Yeah. So the fear of God goes a long way, especially when you learn it as a child, because I knew, you know, my aunt explained to me, well, you know, you sin, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, do you need forgiveness for that sin? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, if you don't forgive, God will not forgive you. Mm-hmm. And so that just, there's no wiggle room there. Mm-hmm. Um, reading the Word, staying in church, being loved on by a great Christian family. A lot of people don't have that, and I understand that. It's its not easy. It was the hardest thing ever in my life to do, mm-hmm. was surrender my right not to forgive and to say, God, I want to live like you want me to live, because scientifically now it's been proven that people who don't forgive have all of these illnesses and sicknesses in their life. Unforgiveness can make you physically sick, emotionally sick, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. mentally sick. It can affect you on so many levels. So when you forgive, this is what I try to explain. When you forgive, you're being obedient to the word of God, where God has said, I forgave you, you need to forgive. And you're you're releasing that person now for God to deal with them. Mm-hmm. So you're taking yourself out of judge and you're letting God be the judge because mm-hmm. he knows how to do that. And he has to do that because he's full of mercy and we're not. Right. Um, 
people think revenge is what's going to bring them peace, and it and it doesn't. It mm-hmm. doesn't. If I had tried to hurt Mr. Watts or Harris back, then that would have just put me on the same level as them as being broken people who had had things done somewhere in their life. Hurt people hurt people. Yeah. If a person has been hurt, if a person has had a certain role model, then they just repeat that behavior. Well, my role models have been loving people, forgiving people, being taught um, the right thing, be asking God to help me do the right thing. I didn't always feel like forgiving, mm-hmm. but I knew that I had to do it. I had to make that choice if I wanted to have a life of freedom. I had already lost so much that God was saying, you can lose the rest too. Yeah. You can, you can live in your own personal prison Mm -hmm. or you can choose to take my strength and my grace and forgive these people. Let me deal with them. Mm -hmm. As you saw Mm -hmm. later. And he did, Mm -hmm. he did. And I heard that Harris has a relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. So that was another answer to prayer. So a lot of it, so much of it. Is, is Harris a, still alive now? He is. Mm-hmm. He is. He's still in that same town. Yeah. Yeah. And he's been treated horribly mm-hmm. by people there that have never forgiven. So when I went back to that town to do research for the book and they heard Rebecca's in town mm-hmm. and she's writing a book, that, you know, some of them were like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a tell all and it's going to, you know, she's going to slam this. And I came there with a heart of forgiveness, and so many of the people just wept, and mm-hmm. they said, you are just like your mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You are just like your parents, because yeah. they, they lived forgiveness, they taught forgiveness, they extended forgiveness. And God has used this story of, of, of uh, love, betrayal, terrorism, loss, confusion, um, um, just feeling like an orphan, Mm. to knowing who my father is, Mm. that my Abba will never leave me or forsake me, and that I can extend the same hope to other people out there that have gone through worse than I've gone through. Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine that as a little girl, that someone could go through worse than I have gone through, but they have, and they did it without God. They did it without a loving family. And so I've been blessed— to be able to go through all of this heartache and tragedy and trauma in in a in a kind of a love bubble <laughs> you <laughs> know surrounded it. by love on every side mm-hmm. and forgiven and i've made my own mistakes and i needed forgiveness who am i to withhold that right from anybody i know cuz we need it we, we all need, need it. it so desperately and you're so right yeah uh the only answer to so many of our wounds and hurts is to forgive That's is right. to fully fully forgive for yourself to to get out of your own prison we have the ability to unlock mm-hmm. our prison cell that's right of this wound that we've been harboring and that's what i want to i want to tell my audience is guys god's given us the answer yeah who wouldn't run? I'm going to beat you to that key. You know, I'm, and the great thing is everybody gets a key. That's right. That's right. Everybody gets a key. And it's a beautiful thing. It's it one is. of the best, best things about a relationship with God. That, That's right. That, that I don't see any other answer. No. I mean, the world has counselors and mm-hmm. psychiatrists mm-hmm. and every mm-hmm. other scientific thing. That's right. But man, That's you know, why pay? 
so much money and, and years and decades of time to try to heal a wound that God can heal like that That's for right. you. That's right. One dream. <laughs> one dream. <laughs> one dream. One moment with Jesus changes everything. How long before you started feeling the forgiveness from the time you chose to forgive? Like, uh, not started, but how long uh-huh. did you, do you feel like, do you live now with uh, like 100% forgiveness of a feeling of forgiveness or did it take you? How long did it take? What was the process? Well, well like? I think those teenage years, being the dark years, and then losing my dad was was there was so much healing that needed to happen, and then it got compounded with his loss. And so, sometimes we can be so introspective that we can make it an idol mm. in our lives. We have to be very careful that we're not so focused on ourselves that we. Just we're thinking about us, 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 my pain, my pain, my pain. Sorry for ourselves, victim. Yeah. And Mm. Aunt Dot said, don't ever feel sorry for yourself. So Mm. she taught us not to have self-pity. And then she, um, you know, just just um, making that choice. You asked me, how did I do that? I'm I'm trying to remember as a teenager, um, I talked to Aunt Dot about this. I said, how do you know you've truly forgiven someone when you know you forgave them, but if but if you think about what they did to you, it stings in your heart again. And she said, you know how you know? I said, please tell me. <laughs> she said, when you hear their name or you see them, when you can bless them. Yeah. Fully. Fully bless them. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, uh, pray for your enemies. Don't curse them. Pray for the happiness. The New Living <laughs> Translation pushes it a little bit for my comfort. Mm-hmm. Pray for the happiness of those who have hurt you. Mm-hmm. So we are supposed to forgive. Then we're supposed to pray for them. Bless them. Then we're supposed to bless them. Mm-hmm. So when you can do that, then you know, I am running free. Mm-hmm. I have no entanglements. <laughs> I have no snares. I have no, um, I don't, I'm not letting bad memories rule my, my present. Mm-hmm. The past bad memories are not in control of my present joy. Yeah. So when you get that kind of freedom, I mean, I just run. I run with freedom. And I have for years because I got a hold of that. When you can bless them, when you can pray for them and bless them, that's how you know that you've truly forgiven them. And it's a process and it's a choice and it takes a lot of grace and it takes a lot of 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 working your way through. And Jesus is with us. And I mean, owning your own stuff too, really. Oh, absolutely. In the process. That's right. That's what's amazing. You had every right to be the victim. You had every right to be angry. And and, and you're, you say that so well. You know, the world would justify for you anything that you chose to do. They would understand it. That's right. Almost, That's right. Except for maybe killing back or whatever. But or still, you know, they might justify it. That's but they, right. But they, you, they would say, "Well, she's going to get justice now too." It's a, it's a sad story. But the, be- yeah, he turned beauty from ashes. That's for right. Sure. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And and what's really neat is when I share my story at churches or meetings or whatever, and I have people come up, they end up sharing stuff with me sometimes that they've never told anyone yeah. because I've been open with my pain. And I, I was at a, a church in Hawaii um, speaking there, and oh my goodness, this pastor, pastor's a huge church, has five services in one day. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Talk about, that would be tough. We're talking lots of Kona coffee. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had a sweet mama come up to me after one of the meetings, and she was in tears, and she said, 
can you please talk to my little girl? Um, she's over there behind the bush crying. Mm. She's nine years old, and her dad molested her. Mm. Can you please talk to her about forgiveness? Mm-hmm. Okay, I cannot relate to that. Mm-hmm. I had a good daddy, mm-hmm. but I know there's a lot of people that don't have a good dad. And this was an example of a little broken girl who came up to me and could not even speak speak about it to me. And her mom had shared it with me. So I said, honey, I know that your dad has done some things that are wrong Mm -hmm. and they will always be wrong, but I'm praying for Jesus to help you forgive him. Mm -hmm. And she just leaned over on me and sobbed. And I was like, oh, dear God, how is the heart of of God, our father, to have to know and see all the hurt his children are going through? And he wants to help us. All we have to do is reach out to him, and he is right there. And that mom said, thank you so much. That means so much to her. Hmm. That's just one story. There are so many stories of people being abused, neglected, unloved, rejected, betrayed. And on some levels, I can understand. And on other levels that I can't understand, I say, I don't understand. I cannot relate to what you've gone through, but God knows exactly what you went through, and he never left you. He was right there with you. He never leaves us. Oh, that's so hard, though. I mean, why? You, you, you mentioned it earlier, stuck on why. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can just live in the why, and and um, the, the breaking out of the why is the forgiveness. Like, we don't understand. We don't understand why God wasn't there. Right. Or seem to not be there. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, um, it's it's breaking out of the blaming of God. Right. Because God is supposed to, you know, be looking at, he's supposed, supposed to be a good daddy and a good daddy wouldn't let something like that happen. I've, I've learned through the years that God parents differently than we do. Yeah, I guess he does. Because as, par- as a parent, as a parent, I can say that I want to protect my children from all harm and all evil and all hurt and all bad decisions. Yeah. But God does not do that. He does not parent that way. And he lets us fall and get hurt. But then he comforts us. He lets us lose precious people. And then he comforts us. He is the God of all comfort. And in the word, it says he comforts us so that we can therefore comfort others. Mm -hmm. So our pain is never really about us. Mm -hmm. We think it is. Yeah. But it's really about us allowing God to heal us so we can help others in their pain. (sighs) That's just mind blowing. Yeah. It's a it's a deeper level that that, that's a good word. God does not parent like we do. We always make. I, I hear it all the time, you know, to try to make God relatable, we make him, we give him characteristics of a, mm-hmm. of a human father, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we're selling him short when we, I wish I had a tissue for you. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> you need a tissue? That's okay. We're selling him short mm-hmm. when we just give him the characteristics of an earthly father. And impose our thoughts on him because we look at age. So we think if, if a child dies when they're young, that they've missed out on their whole life. We think if someone like my parents died in their 40s, wow, they had 40 years ahead of them. How could they, how could God just allow their lives to be cut short? He does not look at age. He looks at purpose. Mm. And so what we have to do is thank him for the time we do get with the, with our family, with our friends. Mm-hmm. We have to thank him for that time. Yeah. 
and not look at the time we're not getting. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot to look forward to. This life uh, is just a blink. We're passing through. It says that we're not from this world. We're pilgrims from another land, and we're passing through. And the people that get stuck here that think everything revolves around their time on this earth, they're missing out on the joy that is to come when mm-hmm. we're all together again. Mm-hmm. So that's where my my heart is already like it, it's like heart in heaven, hand on the plow or something <laughs> like that. You know, we we do our assignment. We do what God gives us to do while we're here because he created us with talents and purpose and, and callings. So we do that because he didn't do it in vain. He gave it to us on purpose. And then we, we, our hearts are in heaven with our Father, with our big brother Jesus, mm-hmm. with our family and our friends that are waiting. And that veil is thin. Mm-hmm. We just can't see on the other side, but I believe they can see us. Yeah. And so that's, there's, that would be amazing. So much joy. I'm looking forward to what that's going to be like that's on the right. other side. Yes. Uh, and we get to see sort of, like, sort of, I guess. I don't know. Am I going to feel. Like if I'm watching my kids, uh, am I going to, what am I going to, am I going to feel, is it going to be, it's going to be a whole different realm right. of things that are going to open right. up. It's, That's right. It's fascinating to think about. That's and a I, whole nother um, broadcast. Yeah. I know, <laughs> you, I know you think about that too, because yeah. you're, because you saw your parents so vividly yeah. um, and you believe that God showed that to you so yes. vividly. Do you yes. like movies like heaven is for real yes. or things like that. Is yeah, that miracles from heaven, miracles from heaven. And, yeah. and just books on heaven appointments with heaven by Dr. Uh, Reggie Anderson. He's mm. one of my favorite um, books that I've read re- recently. And um, my dream of heaven mm. uh, is another amazing, it just brings you comfort when you know that when you become a child of God and you have the Holy spirit inside of you, he can reveal the Holy spirit can reveal things to your spirit of heaven mm-hmm. because it's the other it's our home it's our home it, we're, we're it's like a little message like a little letter we're citizens mm-hmm. of heaven yeah so that means we were there yeah <laughs> <laughs> so if you're you can't be a citizen from a place unless you were there before so right. i believe we were in the heart of god and then he sent us here to this earth and then we come back to him mm-hmm. i call it boomerang love mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he sends us down we're supposed to come back to him yeah but yeah heaven is on my mind daily my kids hear me talk about it watch movies read books um i'm just a little nosy like that i kind of want to <laughs> know what they're doing what are they doing if they it's not fair if they can see what i'm doing i can't see what they're doing yeah. so um um, we have a lot to look forward to, but while we're here, we need to walk in freedom. We need to make the choice to forgive. There's so much grace available, and grace, from what I have learned, is not just undeserved favor, because we don't deserve it, but because of Jesus, the grace of God is the ability to do something you can't do in your own strength. Mm. So I needed grace to forgive. Because I couldn't do that in my own strength. Mm-hmm. So when people try to forgive in their own strength, a lot of times they can't do it. Yeah, They're trying in their own strength. But when you ask God, I need grace, I need the ability to do something I can't do in my own strength, Father, He will give you grace. And mm. then you step into His ability. Yeah. And that's how you forgive. Mm. It's beyond your ability to do it on your own. If that's it right. was in your ability, it wouldn't be so special. It would not be the Father's 
heart and the father's and it love. wouldn't be so hard and it's annoying <laughs> it's annoying i wish it was easier yeah it is but it, again it's part of the courage it's it's stepping out in faith um and trusting that with god all things are possible yes especially forgiveness that's right it's easy to say it's easy to say i you know i um we all wrestle with our own uh mm-hmm. issues and 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 i think we can all relate to aspects of your story and putting ourselves in, in your shoes. I don't know what I would have done. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Rebecca, this has been phenomenal. I think you have a second book in you. <laughs> Honestly, I think there's, 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 I need I, grace for that. <laughs> I know. I know, but th- there's so many, so many life, life lessons that you've learned from, and, and I guess, you know, I have to fully read the book to, I'm sure there's a lot in here, but there's so many points uh, that you that you've made on the topic of forgiveness that um, I think people people need to hear yeah. your words and yeah. spoken over them. Do you do a lot of speaking now? I mean, the book's been out for a while, and I know that you were there's a, a potential movie at some point. Yes, for the book, but yes, not quite, not there yet. Well, I, I do travel and speak, yeah. so I speak at churches, I speak at events, um, and we are working on a movie. This is our third start over. Yeah. Um, so we, I do have a producer and a screenplay, and we're real excited that 2017, we're praying, is the year that we're finally going to get some um, speed you know, traction. to the process, traction. Mm-hmm. Yes. You had been going down the road a couple of different times. Yes. Third time they say is the charm, I guess is the expression. Right. But right. Um, well, I need the Trinity three. Yes. Trinity. <laughs> I, I need like the Father, better. Jesus and the Holy Spirit to get this movie done. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so. Well, you know, that's a whole nother topic of, you know, why it became so difficult. Yeah. You know, but, yeah. uh, but I'm, Hey, this is a it's battle. Be awesome, this though. is the battle is his, and yes. we do battle uh, against not against flesh and blood, but in the spirit. That's and, right. Um, you're, I'm believing for it to to Thank come out. You. So be looking, everybody listening. Yes. The devil in pew number seven. Um, I know needs to grip people in in the new medium of today. You know, people are so impatient to read books these days that uh, it's great to um, to maybe have this come out in a in a you know, screen. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Screen. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Well, Rebecca Nichols Alonzo, thank you for coming on the courage cast and telling this courageous story. I'm blessed to know you. And I'm going to be calling on you when I need to hear a message about forgiveness for, for something in my life. Absolutely. Thank All you right. for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks. Wow. What an interview. I'm grateful to know Rebecca and uh, we go, our, our kids go to school together and I'm grateful to see her on a regular basis. You know, my big takeaway with my discussion with Rebecca is that there is absolutely nothing, nothing at all that God cannot redeem. There is nothing that forgiveness cannot heal. And so you in whatever situation that you are going through forgive choose to forgive wrestle with it soak in it get angry at God in the process if you need to whatever you need to do wrestle with him and get to a place of forgiveness there's so much that he wants you to do and so much more that he wants you to to get about the business of doing so just get to the place however you need to, 
of forgiving because you've been forgiven for much, much, much. We've all been. We're all under his grace. We're all under. We're so thankful for his mercy every single day, aren't we? Well, I want to thank Rebecca for coming on and showing us what real forgiveness looks like. Well, that music means this episode is about to come to an end. And I want to take this time right now to announce next week's guest. Next week's special guest and interview is going to be with Coach Scott Oatsfall with Life Transformation 360, LT360. He is my health coach, somebody that I look up to and admire. Not only is he going to give us some great health tips, but more importantly, he's going to share some amazing advice from his life experience, family advice, marriage advice, powerful stuff. You're going to love Coach Scott Oatsvall and be inspired. Well, I want to remind you to go to the Patreon page to support the Courage Cast and the Courageous Community. Go to patreon.com slash couragecast. I want to thank Matt Price for providing the great bumper music for this show. For now, I'm Eric Nordoff. Please join me next Tuesday for the next episode of Courage Cast. Courage Cast.